Welcome to another episode of Papa Talks. This is Tony, and first, I'd like to thank everyone who listened to the first episode of this podcast. I know most of them are my friends and my office mates, but analytics reveal that I have listeners in the United States and Germany. So, thank you, Native Analytics of Anchor. Otherwise, I have no idea whatsoever about my listeners so i love feedback i love insights so please feel free to message me for any reactions or recommendations chances are i'll read them and consider them and this really gives me the motivation to keep on doing this regularly so one of the responses i got regarding the last episode was the episodes need to be longer at least two people said they want it to be longer because they want to listen to my podcast while they're eating breakfast. Another response I got just said the dulcet tones of Tony. I'm not gonna lie, I felt a little embarrassed for myself as a writer because it's actually the first time I heard of the term dulcet tones. So, like any self-respecting writer, I had to Google the term. So, according to Merriam-Webster, dulcet means sweet to the taste, pleasing to the ear, or generally pleasing or agreeable. So, I guess that means my voice is sweet, and pleasing to the ears that's what it means right so <laughs> thank you to this kind person who told me that even though I'm not really sure if she was just being sarcastic when she said it but I'll take whatever compliment I can get I guess and I think it's not the first time somebody said that my voice was rather pleasant and easy to listen to an older gentleman actually once told me that I wish my wife sounded more like you. <laughs> to this day, I still don't know what he means by that. And I always remember that moment for some weird reason. Because I just find it as something weird to say to somebody you don't even know. <laughs> weird. My biggest frustration in life i guess is not being able to turn this innate talent or attribute of mine into a lucrative career in radio hosting broadcasting or voice acting so i've always admired this world famous voice actor named tara strong so you might be familiar with her she's voiced Timmy from the Fairly Odd Parents, and I think even Batgirl, and even Rocky and Bullwinkle characters. I think I think she's voiced them as well. So that's just a testament to how versatile her voice is. So while I don't necessarily think that my voice is as versatile as hers, I really wouldn't know the the versatility of my own voice until. I try my hand in like voice acting. So I've always wanted to do voice uh, work for 
um, animation and Korean novellas here in the Philippines, but I don't know where to send in my applications. So if anyone knows and you can lead me in the right direction, please message me. I guess um, it also helps that I'm actually a trained broadcaster. So I've been trained to write and perform for radio, television, and film. I graduated with a degree in broadcast communication, but I never got to apply that trade. I gravitated more towards writing and journalism. I guess it also didn't help that my experiences in applying for jobs in the two biggest networks in my country were not very pleasant, if not at all traumatic. So after months of waiting, the most that I got from them was an offer to be a part of their talent pool. So what does that mean? Let me put it this way. I won't be a regular employee. I would be perpetually waiting for projects to come in before I even earn anything. And then, I won't even be allowed to do any other gigs should I be a part of their talent pool. So, as a first-born child who had to contribute to the household income by the time I graduate, that really didn't sit well with me. So I didn't take those offers and I ended up working as an editorial assistant in a business magazine instead. But I guess I miss the rigor of producing something other than the written word and maybe this podcast is the outlet for my pent-up broadcasting energy. I guess part of it is I want to know if my instrument is still working properly and then if it's not what can I actually do to hone it again so you guys telling me that I at least sound pleasant is highly encouraging and it really motivates me to keep on producing um, episodes for this little podcast of mine Hey, so I want to introduce a new segment called Discovery of the Week. And for this week, the honor goes to the documentary Bathtubs Over Broadway, which was released in 2018. It's about Steve Young and his obsession with vinyl records on industrial shows, particularly industrial musicals. So for more than 20 years, Steve Young served as the head writer for The Late Show with David Letterman. So no surprise, this documentary was also co-produced by David Letterman. So his obsession started when he was doing research for a segment called Dave's Record Collection, which mostly featured vinyl records with funny titles or obscure concepts, or basically vinyl records that shouldn't exist depending on who you ask. 
So the vinyl records of these industrial musicals were not even meant for commercial distribution. They were just meant to be corporate giveaways in the first place. But due to his research for the segment, Steve Young ended up going to uh, record stores and ended up collecting these vinyl records. So, speaking of industrial shows, particularly industrial musicals, these are not to be confused with company jingles or trade shows. So, these are actually full-on musical productions for a corporate audience. So think of it as an annual stockholders meeting where your financial and operational performance for the year will be slowly revealed and disclosed through song and dance. So think of it as an annual sales meeting or an employee pep rally done in the style of Bob Fosse. Insert jazz hands here. And think of the ballads composed and it's singing about the virtues of say in their plumbing or you know they have show stopping numbers on the amazing world of tractors and granary with 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 think of that think of that kind of um of entertainment <laughs> so what i found amazing is steve young was actually able to find um, records with phenomenal titles such as Diesel Dazzle, which is, uh, you guessed it, about the dazzling world of diesel fuel. And another one called The Bathrooms Are Coming, a musical about the plumbing fixtures revolution of the 1960s, featuring the hit My Bathroom. A love song dedicated to your special kind of place, your bathroom. And of course, let's not forget that battle cry of capitalism, everything's coming up profits, which I think is a musical, which is a play on everything's coming up roses from Rose's turn from Gypsy. Am I getting it right? I'm not a Broadway baby, so I'm not really sure. Anyway, please correct me. So can you just imagine being the lyricist forced to incorporate around 180 uses of silicone into a five-minute song for like an annual sales meeting of a silicone manufacturing company? Can you just imagine? Can you imagine that level of creativity that is required to come up with such a song? So I thoroughly enjoyed this documentary. It featured a lot of clips of the actual industrial musicals themselves and it featured a lot of interviews from the composers, the lyricists, and the performers of these industrial uh, musicals. And while watching, I actually realized a few things. Number one, a gig is a gig. These are performers, choreographers, and lyricists who are already big stars on Broadway. And then they were just invited to do these industrial musicals as well. Think Cheetah Rivera, Martin Short, Florence Henderson. 
and some of them even claim that they earned more money from doing these industrial musicals than doing Broadway musicals. So I think outside of their corporate function, these industrial musicals were just really good shows. Lots of clever lyrics, it hits my soft spot for product puns, lots of catchy tunes, and really well thought out choreography. So you can't really tell that even if it's a show for a very limited audience, these performers, these choreographers, these lyricists still performed with the same level of excellence and intensity as if they were performing for like a Sondheim or like a Rogers and Hammerstein production, you know. Because a gig is still a gig. It's still, it's still good work. It's still decent work. And they were still performing. And I kind of admired that work ethic from these performers as I was watching the documentary. Number two, your work has impact. So while researching for his book and this particular documentary, Steve Young reached out to the composers, choreographers, and performers of these industrial musicals. And they were actually surprised that there was still interest over something that they worked on like 50 years ago. Because in their mind, they did the job, they got paid, they got paid well, and they moved on to bigger and brighter things in musical theater. However, perhaps what they did not realize or maybe even account for at the time was the impact that their work had on the employees of those companies and even on the very collectors of these rare vinyl records of the industrial musicals that they produced. So I guess in that sense, these industrial musicals were not just a flex or a show of wealth and achievement of a company, but they were also a means to motivate and engage their employees particularly their salespeople. So it's a great way to boost morale, if you ask me, especially at the time. And through these industrial musicals, salespeople perhaps saw themselves as heroes and perhaps saw their work beyond their sales quotas. Number three, your weird interests are nothing to be ashamed of. I don't know what endeared Steve Young to these industrial musicals, but he claims that this is his only interest outside of work. And watching the documentary, I can see how he really enjoyed the act of collecting and listening to these final records of industrial musicals. He even memorized the songs and he actively sought out all of the composers and the performers involved in the production of these industrial musicals. Some people would probably call him a nerd, but there's really no shame in having a very particular interest or hobby. But of course, reality check, let's face it, there are certain people who like shaming other people 
due to their interests. Today, there are a lot of toxic fandoms or maybe there's just a lot of toxicity in certain fandoms, whatever the fandom may be. And this usually starts when certain people feel compelled to gatekeep or tell other people how they should be enjoying things. Otherwise, they are not considered real fans or real enthusiasts of something. And I say, you know, just enjoy things. Let us let people enjoy things. Savor the things that bring joy to your heart, even if it's weird. And don't let other people tell you otherwise. I have an editor who has a thing for pretty ceramics like dainty cups and plates, which she even admits can be a little expensive, but she adores them so much and likes taking pictures of her food using these pretty ceramics. I have office mates who are into K-pop and they collect merchandise as well, like dolls, photo cards, light sticks, anything related to their idols. And yes, this can get rather expensive as well. And even if they sometimes admit that their fandoms can get toxic at times, they always go back to the joy that they get from seeing the idols themselves. I, on the other hand, am into true crime and I collect books on serial killers and criminal profiling. So (laughs) is it time to say, is that weird? I'm so not like other girls. (laughs) (laughs) Oh no, I don't think it's very unique because with the spate of true crime content on Netflix, I think a lot of people are into serial killers and criminal profiling now. Although, every time I say that I'm into true crime and serial killers and criminal profiling, some people are still alarmed by it. They don't get how such a morbid topic can be interesting or even enjoyable. So wait till they hear of my um, love for Ask a Mortician and that positivity, so I don't know what they will think about that so but let's just allow people to enjoy what they enjoy because it doesn't it doesn't really hurt you to see other people enjoying things unless of course there's a tinge of jealousy that you get when you see other people enjoying things on another note it would be interesting to see industrial musicals live And for context, I currently work in a communications agency and reproduce the annual reports and sustainability reports of listed companies. So can you just imagine a company's sustainability journey unfolding through song and dance? I can already think of so many possibilities in terms of plot, choreography, and show-stopping numbers, but... I don't think our clients are up for this kind of thing just yet. So, 
that's my discovery of the week hope you had fun listening to me ramble about it and i hope you learned a little something today and thanks for tuning in to another episode of tapa talks until next time goodbye